fraudsters and bad players have become very adept at getting trusting people to turn over the keys to the bank. I'm Charlotte Jessup, president of Smedley Financial Services. Today, my guests and colleagues, Michael Ani and Shane Thomas, will explain just how easily and quickly this can happen. Welcome to the SFS Power Up Wealth Podcast, where we provide impactful insight and expert opinions on timeless financial principles and timely investment topics, preparing you to make smarter decisions with your money. Michael and Shane, thank you for joining me today. Glad to be here. Yeah, happy to be here. Michael is Vice President of Wealth Management at Smedley Financial Services, and he holds a CFP designation and an MBA. And Shane Thomas is our resident IT specialist, and we consider him our expert. Michael, there must be a million reasons why you want to talk about this concerning topic. Or at least 100,000. Why 100,000? Because that's how much a client lost from their checking account because of fraudsters. Unbelievable. It is. And so that client, I talked with them and they said, please share my story so other people don't fall into the same trap that they did. That's kind of them to be willing to share their information to help protect others because we see an increase in fraud across the board. Tell us more about that. What's happened? So what happened to this particular client is on their laptop, they had a, a login screen or a screen that popped up that said, uh, your computer has an issue. It's with Microsoft. Please call Microsoft at this phone number. So they called the phone number and the person sounded trustworthy and just was helping them through with it, requested their username and password so they could sign into their computer for them. But as soon as they got that sign in, they locked the computer down. They were able to get their personal bank information and log into Zion's bank and create a wire for $100,000. And as soon as the wire is gone, it was not recoverable. So even though it's a legitimate bank, even though the bank can do everything that they can in their power, like once a wire leaves, that money is most likely gone. So what you're saying is the bank can't protect someone against a wire fraud? Not completely. There should be checks and balances in place to try to prevent as much wire fraud as possible, but there are things that the consumers or clients need to do to also protect themselves. So it's not like when someone gets your Visa card and starts using it and the Visa company will wipe the charges away or, you know, take the charges themselves. Nope. Uh, and that's one of the, the things that you say, okay, what are the things that they, they could have done differently so that this had a different outcome? And, and one is not keep so much money in your checking account because the checking account is one of the easiest places to tap into. Uh, so don't use a debit card. If you're going to use a card, use a credit card, because that's the big difference. If a credit card, if there's a big charge that comes through for $5,000, let's say, well, the credit card eats that. They're the ones that are on the hook for that $5,000. If that $5,000 or $100,000 leaves your checking account, it's just gone until they can recover it, if they can recover it. Right. You know, with a Visa card, they'll just issue a new card, new number. So going forward, you don't have that issue and they can nip it in the bud, but... In a bank account, that's tragic when a large sum of money is gone. And a lot of companies require debit card payments. Yes. And so you have to be really careful about those and whether or not you use a debit card and use a credit card whenever possible. 
There are other things that they 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 could have seen or done too. And probably what happened is that their computer got infected either from a fraudulent website or from an email that came through where it had a link that they clicked on because somehow there was some um, malware that got onto their computer in order to p- make that pop-up show up for them. And they're not the only clients that have had that, uh, that have had a pop-up on their computer that says, call this phone number. So that's the second thing is if a phone number pops up to say, hey, call this company, go verify that phone number somewhere else. And once you can look it up and say, hey, I'll, I'm going to call this number that I know is legitimate. And then you can say, hey, did you really send out this email? Is there really something going wrong with my computer? Did, did you make this pop up show up? And they can either say, yes, it's legitimate or no, it's not. So that's another big thing is just verify the information that before you do. If you do happen to get on the phone call, I had another client do this, that they started going through it and the the people started asking for more and more information and they just felt uncomfortable. And finally, they just hung up on the person. Then they shut down their computer. You should power it off completely and then either take it to computer repair place or uh, call them and they can usually verify if there's anything bad on your computer that's going to be malicious or harm you in any way. You know, I just think there is an increase. There's always fraudsters, whether it was, you know, washing checks, you know, getting checks out of people's mailboxes, which is, believe it or not, still going on. We, yeah. you know, we hear about it all the time, but they've just changed as technology's changed. They've adapted and they're persistent. And they're getting more and more creative. Like the emails that they send aren't the Nigerian prince anymore. And hopefully everybody is aware of that one where the Nigerian prince says, oh, I'm, I'm moving to America, but I need so much money, you know, send me $300. And when I get there, I'm going to send you $3 million. You know, hopefully everybody's aware to that one, but they've become more sophisticated where they send an email that looks like it's coming from Target or America first. And it looks like it has all the right uh, information and wording on it. And about the only way you can detect is if you hover over some of the links and it'll show you what the link is and it's going to some random website in Timbuktu. Uh, Same thing with emails or with uh, uh, text messages. You know, if you look at it and it says target at Timbuktu.com, well, that's not legitimate, right? And so you have to pay really close attention. I see the same thing coming through on text messages. But even with text messages, they're getting more savvy and they're not just sending you a link that says, hey, click on this link. They're, they're sending you a text message that says, hey, I missed out on dinner last night. I'm sorry. And you reply and say wrong number. Well, now they have you on the hook and they know that it's the that uh, it's legitimate number and they can try to create a dialogue with you and keep things going to, to find out more personal information about you. They're tricky. It's it's critical to be very vigilant about protecting yourself and what you're clicking on. And where you're looking. So Shane has seen that more and more. So Shane, what should people do if they're getting those type of text messages? The best thing to do um, in that case is to, you know, if you have an iPhone, even with Android, it'll say report this number, block the number, at least block the number. Don't even reply. Don't even say anything back to the person like, oh, sorry, wrong number. All that does is acknowledge to the bad guys that the number is legit and there is it's a real number and it works. And then that number gets moved up the chain as, oh, this is a, this is a number we can really push to uh, spam further. So, yeah, the first the best thing to do, ignore it, block the number and uh, and move on. Yeah. Shane, tell us about some of the other fraud things that you're aware of that people need to be know about so that they can protect themselves. Well, but- as Michael mentioned, uh, email phishing fraud is is huge. 
it's been big and it'll continue to be big because it's lucrative to them. Um, the bad guys aren't going to stop doing something that's working well for them. They just keep making it better and better. And um, they're making the emails more creative. They're instead of being from target.com, it might be target with two T's or a target and a number one.com. They're really getting sophisticated in how they're uh, making those. And you might go, Oh, this is my Amazon package. And you want to verify that it's, coming, you click the link, it takes you to a site that appears like a legitimate site that you sign in, you put your credentials in, they take those credentials and immediately, as soon as they get those, they harvest those, they log into the real website, whether it's Amazon Target, Walmart, whatever it is, even your email, they get into that and then they immediately change the password, which locks you out and then start creating problems. It it happens so fast, um, just like our clients that they got on their computer. They thought there was a problem. As soon as they gave them that information, they immediately locked the clients out of their own machine and uh, and moved forward with the fraud. So the phishing emails are big. Um, auction websites. That one was interesting to hear about. Yeah. What, what's going on with the auction so websites? Auction websites are huge. These guys are putting up merchandise on there. It can be something simple as, you know, beanie babies from back in the, the 90s or 2000s, um, cars. RVs, it doesn't matter. And people feel like, oh, this is, you know, I want to buy that. And this is a great deal. Once again, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And uh, people are getting on there. They're bidding for these. They feel like they've got now like a tie to this object. They're like, oh, I'm getting a pretty good deal on this. They go to purchase the item. The company wants them to wire the money to them. And uh, they get the wire instructions because, hey, you won the bid. Here's the wire instructions. They go down to the bank, they wire the money. Well, guess what? The auction site isn't legit. The item really isn't there. The cool classic car, the boat, whatever it was, and your money's now gone and you are not going to ever see the, that item. No One, recourse. No right. recourse. One thing that I thought was crazy is that like, the auction site was using a legitimate business address. So the business address is fine, but it's not to that business right? As to some other business that's random that has no identification. And so in those cases, always call to verify before you say, start sending money, especially through sure. wires, because wires are, are really fraudulent or have the potential to be fraudulent. Right. Much better to give them a credit card if they'll take a credit card. Yeah. And if you call the phone number and nobody picks up, and that's that's suspicious. <laughs> yes. Yes, that is. You would think so. You'd think that would trigger something. I've seen wire problems, too, with like mortgages because or buying a house because they want the wire money to come through for the down payment or whatnot. And so fraudsters know about that and they're trying to get the wrong wire information out there. And so if you get the wrong wire information, it could go to Timbuktu or, you know, someplace where there's no recourse, no way to get the money back. So I, I tell people, if you're wiring money, buying a home, selling a home, whatever, make sure you double and triple check the wire information before you send any money out. I would agree with that. The other thing that uh, is concerning, too, is the amount of logins and passwords that we are required to make. Every website that we go to wants you to create a username and a login in, in password, uh, regardless. And in, yeah, whether it's Target or Walmart, Amazon. Um, your bank, your credit card, your cell phone, your cable provider, everybody wants a login. And so much so that we get lazy and we just start using the same password or a similar password. Well, guess what? If one 
password is compromised and you have that same password used across several different places, now that password's compromised for all of those websites. So the best practice is, as hard as it is, make a unique hard password for every single website. I think my hand gets tired writing all the passwords down, <laughs> but I know that's a bad practice to write them down, yeah. right? Yeah. The best practice is use a password manager, some kind of password manager where it keeps track of all of those for you. An example would be LastPass uh, or 1Password. Uh, there's a couple out there that are really good. If you have questions, give us a call. We can give you some recommendations, but that way you're not writing it down. You don't have a notebook with 50 pages worth of passwords. And then also the password managers makes a password really hard for you of you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 characters long with uppercase, lowercase, special characters, numbers. Then you don't have to think about it. You're not just using, you know, password with an exclamation point. <laughs> you're using a really hard password. Um, and the other thing to do is if it's an option, which is most of the banking places, is you turn on the two-factor authentication. The multi-factor authentication, whether it sends you a text or an email with a code, or it uses a code um, on Authenticator app on your phone, something like that. That's just one more step to keep the bad guys out of out of your stuff. I recently heard of some fraud where the fraudsters had information. They'd probably been monitoring someone's email and had password information, but it was two-factor. And so they made a phone call to the person saying that they were the legitimate company and said, we're going to send, we're having some problems with your account. We're going to send you a code. We need your code to verify it's you. So, and then at the same time, the fraudster is trying to log into the account and they know that a two-factor code is going to be spent, sent. So they trigger that and then the client gives them the code. Well, now the, the fraudster has access to the bank. The bank will never call you and say, hey, I need the code. You might be on the phone with them verifying information and you called them to, and they say, hey, we need to send you a code. But they're never going to call you and say, hey, you just got a code. What's the code? That's never going to happen. I've seen uh, America First and there's a couple other credit unions that are local that they've been at the forefront of this trying to tell people, hey, fraudsters are trying to mimic us and they're trying to request that two-factor code. We never will request that. Do not give that out ever. And so America First at least is trying to fight against the people that are being bad actors. Are there, are there other things that they're saying as as far as giving out the code? What other things are banks and credit unions telling? Besides never sharing your login credentials with someone else, that's, I mean, the, besides that, um, never send money to someone if you've only corresponded via email or texting. The other thing they would say is if you're suspicious, if someone calls you, just hang up. You don't have to keep talking to somebody on the phone. <laughs> our they, polite nature, right. our polite nature makes We're, it hard to just hang up on because someone. Because they say they're somebody doesn't mean they are somebody. I have a couple clients that they like to play pranks on those uh, callers because they'll play along and then just start making up information and just seeing how far they can get the person down the road before <laughs> they get upset and start yelling at if them you, from the other if end. They have nothing but time to waste. Then there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. But if they call and say, hey, I'm, you know, John, I'm calling from your bank, you know, if they aren't, and maybe they are, hang up, call your bank back if there's really a problem. I have done that a couple of times and they're totally fine with that. 
And so you can tell that they're legitimate when they're like, I'm calling you. You're like, thank you for calling. I'm going to call somebody else back just to verify. And they're like, great. You know, so you can tell that they're not the ones that are trying to perpetrate fraud. Gift cards. Mm. If someone calls you and says, we need you to go purchase gift cards, your boss does not need you to go purchase gift cards. <laughs> I, I've had this more from the grandkids where they, you know, they call up somebody and they, especially if they can get somebody that they sounds like they're older. Right. And they're like, grandpa, I'm having issues and I'm down here in Mexico and I need you to send me gift cards because that's the only thing that I can use to bribe them. And, you know, they create this urgency to it. Right. There's an emergency. It's something that needs to happen. And you can trust me because I'm your grandson. They don't ever say what the grandson's name is. They just say grandpa or grandma, you know, and people start buying into that. And I've had clients that have sent out gift cards to, to an address because they thought they're literally trying to help a grandchild. The bad guys try to create a sense of urgency that whatever's happening, is you got to take care of it right now. It's immediate. And so then you, you feel like, oh, I've got to, there's, there's a problem yeah. and I've got to take care of it right now. And they create trust and then they scam you. Mm-hmm. I've had somebody that had one of those, and then they called over to their daughter and said, um, is your son around? And they're like, yeah, they're here in the backyard. And they're like, that's what I thought. They weren't out in Mexico or someplace with issues, and at least they were able to verify that it was fraud and not follow through with it. Being hypervigilant is, for us as individuals is really important. It's changed. The nature of fraud has changed, and we just have to be aware and I think we have to be hypervigilant as a company so that so we have rules and procedures in place to protect our clients. For example, we cannot uh, send any personal information through emails. We can't send account numbers. We can't send dollar amounts. You know, for example, one day I, I was uh, on the phone and I had a client email me or an email that came in from a client that said, Michael, are you there? And I'd, I'd been dealing with them. So I replied, I'm on a phone call. I'll call you when I'm done. And a reply came back that said, we're on vacation in Mexico. Kindly email us the balances in our account. And I was like, wait a second. They already know about how much they have. And I started looking at the email closer and it had spelling errors, punctuation errors. And then I was like, "Mm, okay, this doesn't sound right. And so I tried to call the client, couldn't get through to them, called somebody else that knew them that already knew that they were clients because we can't call somebody that doesn't know that you're a client. Um, but they're friends and they're both clients. And I said, Is, are they on vacation in Mexico? And they're like, they're on vacation in Cedar City. It, it took still another day or two to get hold of the clients. And somebody had hacked their email and had been monitoring it and watching for them to see when they would be out of town and then try to, to create a dialogue with their financial advisor to see if they could create fraud that way. Email is just one of the things that we have, like, we know our clients. And so if people call in, we know what they sound like if we talk to them. And if there's somebody that we don't deal with regularly, we're asking for personal information to verify who they are before we request any transactions. And then if transactions are requested, it's already tied to a bank account or a home address that it's going to, or documents have to be signed. And there's signature verification. And I know that the signature verification works because I had a client that had Parkinson's that his signature got declined. So I know that they do it even if it's not for the right reason. (laughs) At least they're trying. You know, everyone that we work with, every company or vendor that we work with has protocol for to protect for fraud. And we have it here at Smedley Financial as well. Yeah. We always make sure that we're trying to protect our clients and their assets just because what if you lose $100,000, that's a gut punch. You know, that could be devastating to a lot of people. 
well, hopefully this will be information that everybody can take to heart and and implement so that they can keep their own money in their own bank account and yes. use it the way that they want to and not allow the fraudsters to get to it. Keep you guys, your hard-earned money and keep it away from the fraudsters. Thanks, you guys, for joining me today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining the Power Up Wealth podcast. Spend the financials located at 102 South, 200 East, Suite 100 in Salt Lake City, Utah, 84111. Call us today at 800-748-4788. You can also find us on the web at smedleyfinancial.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The views expressed are Smedley Financials and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA, SIPSI, Roger M. Smedley, Charlotte J. Jessup, James R. Derrick, Shane P. Thomas, Michael B. Ani, Jordan R. Hadfield, Registered Representatives. Investment Advisor Representatives of Smedley Financial Services, Inc. Advisory Services offered through Smedley Financial Services, Inc. Smedley Financial Services, Inc. and Securities America are separate entities. (music) 